And that's exactly why this is such a big week for us. Uh, it's to celebrate the King, that Jesus comes today, that was what we'll see through the scripture, uh, as the King. Uh, up until this point, there have been questions, is he a great prophet, is, is he the Messiah, well, who is he? And that question is being slowly answered as we've studied the Gospel of Mark and looked at the life of Jesus, but today, in, in the passages that we're going to look at, Jesus proclaims himself as the king. And if Jesus is the king, and if Jesus claims to be the king, and Jesus is exactly who he says that he is, then we have to deal with him as the king. It's not enough just to say that we love Jesus. It's not just enough to say that Jesus is a savior, that, that he's a Lord, that, he, that Jesus is awesome, that look at what Jesus did. But today Jesus is saying that you have to know me if you want to know me, really know who I am. You have to deal with the fact that I'm the king. And that's what we're going to look at. And that we call this Palm Sunday, which is sort of interesting, right? Um, we, we don't call this King Day. We don't call it, uh, you know, Triumphal Entry Day. We, we call it Palm Sunday for a really interesting reason. And that is simply this, that, that there was a point before the birth of Christ. There were two major revolts in Israel against the Romans. Uh, the biggest, the longest one that lasted was by Judas Maccabees. And they had a revolt and they, they freed themselves for a period of time from the the Romans, and when they did, they minted their own coins, and they embossed on those coins a palm branch, because a palm branch represented uh, kingship, it represented their nation, it became a national picture for them, much like you might think of, you know, when you think of tea, you think of the Boston Tea Party, you think of the, the Revolutionary War in the United States, well, that palm branch represented their kingdom, and it was because historically, when a king would come into town, you would take those branches, sometimes palm branches, sometimes others, and you would wave them uh, in honor of the king, that it was a symbol of the king coming. And so we celebrate that day was the, as they're waving their palm branches as Palm Sunday. Now, <clears throat> we have a picture of some ancient coins, and so uh, they're really old, but you can still see the palm branch on them, that it was what they minted as coins, it's what they used. Now, by the time Jesus is born, the Romans are back into control. They're living in occupation. Uh, they're slaves to the Romans, but at, for a period of time, it became a nationalistic thing. So picture this, that when on the day that we're talking about today, on the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, they are waving these palm branches, which says the king is coming. It's a national uh, symbol for them. They're, they're crying out, Hosanna to the king, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. All of the things that they're saying are tantamount to a declaration of war. They're saying a new king is coming. He's entering Jerusalem, pay attention. This is what's happening today, and it goes directly against Roman rule. It goes directly against Roman authority, but they're chanting on this day, Hosanna to the king, 
and they're waving palm branches. Now let's look, because before, before Jesus gets to Jerusalem, there's some really interesting incidents that are recorded for us, and all of the gospel writers give us a little bit of a, a prelude uh, to what happens. If you go to uh, Luke and go to chapter 19 of Luke, you find out one of the things that happened is that Jesus comes into Jericho, and he meets a man named Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, so he runs ahead and he climbs in a tree, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to have a relationship with you, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the notorious sinner, the one that is rejected by all of his people, the one who cheats all of his people, Jesus says, I want a relationship with you. And that's part of the early picture that we get in in Luke 19. Well, when we get to the Gospel of Mark, he tells an interesting story to help us get a picture uh, of what's gonna happen. And again, he goes to Jericho. Jericho seems to be where this journey to Jerusalem starts for us. Jericho is an interesting place because a lot of you know, in fact, I bet you could sing a little song about Joshua uh, who fought a battle at Jericho, but Jericho is considered the longest continually inhabited city in the world. It's an ancient city that's always had someone living there. Another thing about Jericho that's really interesting is it's one of the lowest cities in the world. It's 800 feet below sea level. Now, if you think about being in, in, uh, I think we have a picture, we have a map here. If you think about being in uh, uh, Jericho, look down toward the southern end. So Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee up in the northern part of Israel. Now he's moving south toward Jerusalem. Jericho is only 18 miles from Jerusalem. But in the walk, you go from 800 feet below sea level to 3,000 feet above sea level. So it's 18 miles of walking uphill. It's a treacherous walk because it's famous for robbers and thieves and all kinds of uh, mischief that happens along that road. But as Jesus is entering to Jericho, there's a large crowd of people following him. And so we, we're not so concerned about thieves, but we are thinking about that walk because Jericho is desert, Jericho is dirty, Jericho is sandy and hot. They begin there. And here's the story uh, that we have beginning in Mark, the 10th chapter, verse 46, it just says this, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, a great crowd of people, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now let me just pause for a quick second because it's kind of unusual in these gospel stories to to name the person that's healed. Remember the little woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment? We don't get her name. Often it refers to a leper or a blind man, but in this particular case, Mark wants us to know who it is that's gonna be healed. His name is Bartimaeus, and he's the son of Timaeus. Now, they would often do that because Bartimaeus may be a really common name, and so how do you distinguish this Bartimaeus from the other Bartimaeuses? Well, you do it because he's the son of Timaeus. And why would Mark do that? Here's one of the reasons I think that he's in there, and that's because as this was being circulated, as this letter from Mark was being uh, circulated to people uh, in this new church in the Christian faith, uh, Mark was saying, hey, if you want to verify the story, go ask him. You want to know who it is? It's, it's, it's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He's well known in our church. He's still around. Do you want to know if this really happened? You can just go ask him yourself if you want. And so he puts this name, he gets very specific with this because he wants us to understand this is a real person who's probably very well known in the early church. And if they have a question about what happened, they can just go ask him. 
So he gives us his name. He's by the roadside. And, and you know what that means? It means he's a beggar. That means he's marginalized. Uh, th- that means that he's alone. That means, le- means that he's powerless. And so we have this picture of Jesus with this great crowd. Uh, she's starting to leave Jericho, and alongside the road, there's a marginalized, powerless, blind man named Bartimaeus. Not so powerless as we read the story, because when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls him Jesus, son of David. He's recognizing the lineage of who Jesus is. In a way, he's proclaiming Jesus king. He says, I know you're a descendant of David. I know exactly who you are. I know you're the one that's been prophesied. I know you're the one that the stories have been told about. Jesus, you, Jesus, Messiah, please have mercy on me. I have no other options. I have no other place to go. And many rebuked him. They scolded him. (coughs) Excuse me. They said, you're not that important. You don't really matter. They told him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And I think this is fascinating because I I, I love these scenes in the New Testament because it's so like us, right? I mean, put yourself in this scene. And here's Jesus, and he's so important, and he's so popular, and he's leaving Jericho, and there's a great crowd, and there's things to do, and there's people to see, and there's schedules to meet, because this is Jesus, after all, and the disciples have an agenda, and everybody's got an agenda for Jesus, and here's a blind man, marginalized man, sitting by the side of the road. He calls out, Jesus, have mercy on me, you know, and they say, stop, be quiet. Don't you know this? This guy's important. He's a big deal. He's famous. Don't bug him. Who do you think you are screaming? That's embarrassing. They're rebuking him, they're scolding him, but suddenly Jesus stops and says, hey, would you send him over to me? And what happens? This flip happens. All of a sudden the crowd's going, hey, hey, we want to be your best friend. Can we take you over to Jesus? Can we walk with you? Because they're all just wanting to get next to Jesus. They're all just wanting to be seen by Jesus. They're all wanting to be, you know, something special. They want to be close to what's happening. And so all of a sudden they're going, hey, lucky fellow, come on. Jesus wants to see you. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Again, think about this. Put yourself in this situation. How would this have, what would you have done? Bartimaeus is, he's helpless. He's marginalized. He's alone. He has no hope. Suddenly they say, Jesus is calling for you. And it doesn't say that he got and dusted himself off and he tried to make himself look presentable and a little bit dignified because he's going to meet Jesus after all. But it says he throws off his cloak so there's nothing impending his movement. And he springs up as fast as he can and he sprints to where, where he hears Jesus' voice. He sprints to the place where Jesus is must have been really fun to watch. And here comes the great question. Verse 51, it says, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Why does Jesus always ask these questions, right? I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. The guy's blind, okay? I I mean, I'm not a doctor, okay, I get it, but seriously, But here's the thing for us this morning, okay? There's a reason that he asked this question. What if he'd asked the question and and Bartimaeus said, I really need a great pension. 
I need my social security to start now because I'm, I can, you can see I'm blind, right, Jesus? And I need some security and I need some comfort. And if you could get a dog for me, that'd be awesome. And I've got this list of things and he starts rolling out the scroll, you know, and, and all these things that I want you to do because we settle for so much less in our lives sometimes than God has for us. Jesus looks at us sometimes and says, what do you want me to do for you? And we say, well, I'd like comfort and uh, could you add some security and my, you know, my, 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 you know, my pension's really gotten, it's, you know, it's been kind of crazy lately, and I'm, I'm not about sure about these. And, and oh, while we're at it, my roof is leaking. Okay, I've got this laundry list of things for Jesus, and he's just asked you, what do you want? The God of the universe is saying, what do you want in your life? What do you want out of life? And we have this list of little things, and Jesus is saying, I'm asking you the big question. Here's what Bartimaeus said. Bartimaeus said, Oh, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I want to see. I want to see you. I want to see people. I want to see my family. I've not been able to see anything. My eyes have been closed, and I want to see. Isn't that the real prayer of our hearts? We don't really, we kind of feel like we're missing something. We don't know what it is. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And to say, Jesus, I just want to see. And here's the beautiful thing that the first person he's ever going to see will be Jesus. Well, the story continues. (laughs) And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and listen to this, and he followed him on the way. Now, this is a great story because Jesus doesn't spit in the ground and make mud. He doesn't do any, you know, he doesn't do anything. He just simply says, gotcha. Your faith has made you well, go and his sight is recovered, and what does he do? He follows Jesus. The very first decision that he makes when he sees Jesus is to become a follower. When his eyes are opened, when he can see for the first time in his life, he chooses to follow Jesus. And so now we have the story of this great crowd and Bartimaeus following Jesus. And they leave Jericho, And they start this hike up the hill. And don't you know that all the way to the Mount of Olives and then all the way to Jerusalem, Bartimaeus never took his eyes off Jesus. He didn't want to lose sight of him for a second. He never took his eyes off the Christ. And they they make that walk and they start walking. And, you know, as you get toward Jerusalem, you hit the Mount of Olives, you hit this communities called Bethphage and Bethany, and and you can tell that you're getting close because vegetation starts to appear, and as you crest the hill at the, the Mount of Olives, all of a sudden you have this incredible vista. You have greenery, you have olives, and then you have the city of Jerusalem all laid out before you, and it must be quite a sight as you've made this walk, this dusty, dirty walk, and you finally crest the hill, and now you see it all laid out before you. And that's where we'll pick up the story of the triumphal entry. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. 
untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at the door outside on the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said and they let them go. So here's the scene. They get to this area of Bethphage and Bethany and it's, very, it's close to Jerusalem. And he tells two of his disciples to go into town and to find this colt. Now Matthew tells us that it's the colt of a donkey. It's not a horse's colt, but it's the colt of a donkey. And he says, you go, you untie it, you bring it to me. If somebody asks you, you tell them the master requires it. They're gonna say, okay. I don't know how that works. If Jesus had sent word ahead or, or what it was, or if it was a Jedi mind trick, you know, just uh, he says, that, you know, why are you taking the cult? The master says, take the cult. And he said, take the cult. I don't know how that all worked exactly, but we know that it happened. And he brings the cult. They bring the cult to Jesus. And here's how the story goes. And they brought the cult to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And he starts the journey down into Jerusalem. And it says, many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches and they, uh, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before them, those who followed them were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So now we have this scene. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. There's this crowd of people following him. All of these events have been taking place, have been building up to this moment. Jesus says, I'm going to make my triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is it. I'm going to proclaim myself as king. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Would somebody find that cult of a donkey for me? Seriously. This is why God didn't ask me to be the Messiah. Because I, would, I have like a hundred better ways I would have done this. Right? Fiery chariot. How about that? Okay. King, savior, fiery chariot. I don't even, I, I would do, we, would, we would have hovered. We wouldn't even have hit the ground, right? I mean, I would have just done this. There's just so many cool ways, but that's not who Jesus is. We've been doing this study in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus, and one of the things that we've concluded is that Jesus doesn't do this the way we expect him to. I love power and grandeur and all of those things, and Jesus said, I didn't come to be that kind of king. And so he rides on this colt of a donkey. Now, let me just say this, too. Being really practical, all right? I don't know if any of you have ever tried to ride the colt of a donkey that's never been ridden before, all right? It's not that easy, I'm pretty sure. Not that I've tried it. But uh, this is what Jesus asked for. They put their cloaks on it. Jesus rides this donkey. Imagine it's a donkey, a colt of a donkey that's never been ridden, you're riding it, not, you're just not riding it, but you're riding it with this crowd of people in front of you and behind you. They're waving things at you, right? They're putting their cloaks on the ground in front of you. Uh, they're, they're yelling and, you know, as loud as they possibly can. So you have all of this movement, all of this noise, all of this going around, and this colt is just walking along with Jesus. Let me just say, this is what I believe we're looking at this morning, is it because this is Jesus. This is the same Jesus who, remember a few weeks ago, was asleep in, the, in this boat and the storm came and Jesus came out and he said, peace be still. And the wind stopped and the waves calmed. And there was peace. 
This is the same Jesus that gets on a colt of a donkey that's never been written. And he heals that colt of his fear. He, he brings peace right there. Just his presence brings peace to this colt and he rides them into Jerusalem. You know, there's another ancient uh, idea that a king, as he goes to battle, would get on his war horse and he would ride out with his retinue, ride out with his army uh, to do battle. But if the king was victorious, he would come back to the city on a donkey, come back in humility, because as come back in peace. And Jesus is saying that I'm coming as the king. I'm not stopping anybody from proclaiming me king. I'm coming as the king, but I'm coming in peace. I'm coming in humility. I'm not coming the way everybody would have expected me to come. I'm not coming with all of, to meet all of the demands that you have for a Messiah, for a king, but I am the king. Make no mistake about it. And one of the great things that we learn about Jesus this morning is that Jesus is the king. And if you really want to know Jesus, you'll never really get to know him until you understand him as the king. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the creator of the universe. Jesus is king. You see, when we think about Jesus, we think about so many other things. Savior, compassion, love, but Jesus says, I want you to understand that I'm also the king. And as the king, you understand, what is, it, what, what is it about kings? We obey kings. In the United States, uh, we threw out our king, right, at the, in the Revolutionary War. We said, no more kings for us. And we've tried to live that out ever since. We've been proud of ourselves. We don't have monarchs. We don't have kings. We, we rule ourselves. We have our own, we have our own uh, authority. And all of that is great, uh, except this, that <clears throat> C.S. Lewis once said that where men are forbidden, uh, forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead, even famous prostitutes or gangsters. For, spirit, for spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. That whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, that we always have a king. We all live for something. Think about what you live for. Is it another person? Is it a job? Is it your children? What, what is it that you live for? And whatever that thing is, it controls us, and we crown the thing that we live for. We say we don't have a king. We say we don't follow a king, but we do crown something in our lives that we live for, and Jesus is saying, I'm the king, and I am the only one worthy of your life. I'm the only one worthy of living for. That's what it means to be a king. One of the great lessons that we've learned about Jesus over the last couple of months is that you can't put him in a box. You can't tell him how to respond or to plan. You can't plan the universe for him. He's the king. He's the Lord. And the Christian faith is about following Jesus. It's not about following a great plan it's not some pre-prescribed thing for us. It's about being Bartimaeus and saying, I once was blind and now I see. 
and I never want to take my eyes off Jesus. And I want my life to be about following him. So this morning, as we think about the passion, as we think about Holy Week, as we think about moving toward the cross and the resurrection, where it starts for us this morning is recognizing that Jesus is the king. He is our Lord. He is our ruler. And we want our eyes to be on him and we want to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. (coughs) Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you that we are at this point where we celebrate, uh, Lord, who you are as the king. And we acknowledge, Lord, that the time is coming where that's going to, that the crowds aren't going to be cheering anymore, the crowds aren't going to be praising anymore, uh, that it's going to lead you to the cross. But, Lord, we thank you in anticipation of that and for the resurrection. So, Lord, as we approach this, Lord, we want to recognize that we once were blind and now we see. And, Lord, teach us to follow you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.